Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. Guess what? What? It's Rex Manning Day on the Bechtel cast. How are you going to celebrate? I'm going to get the <laughs> ugliest self-tanner I can possibly find. And and uh and and uh I don't is there a full music video for that? Because I wanna see it. It seems like they shot a full one, yeah. I was kinda into like until like you get to know him better, I was kinda into Rex Manning's like sound. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, I I know he's he's there for the moms, but I would show up. What's the song? Say no more, Mona more. <laughs> it's really good. I was like, you know, I could I could put that in my mo- morning rotation, no problem. Sure. How are you going to be observing Rex Manning Day? I am going to. <laughs> I was going to say, remember when he punches a teenager? I was going to say, I'm going to punch a teenager, but there- <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> protagonist of the movie also punches a teenager yeah joe punches a teenager but they're like no but it's a paternal thing you're like well that does make it worse but okay uh (laughs) so much happens in this movie and yet not that much happens in this movie (laughs) to me the main character is Liv tyler's crop top and that is very important Mm. to me the true protagonist yeah i love it i want it i can't pull it off uh, it's the Empire Records episode of the Bechtel cast. <laughs> yes. So this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point for our discussion. Jamie, can you remind me on this bright and sunny Mex- Rex Manning day? Mex Ranning. What the Bechtel? <laughs> Mex Ranning. Yikes. My brain is tired can you remind me what the bechdel cast nope no <laughs> the bechdel it's test. our podcast about it it's, it's our okay <laughs> the bechdel test 
is i was like caitlin wake up wake up you're dreaming <laughs> oh gosh everything's going great i ate some weed brownies and now i'm in a guar you ate music video oh i was like caitlin you can't you don't do that i ate fruit and nuts this morning and i got like rate i started like i got mad at i don't know sometimes when i make healthy choices i'm like who the fuck do you think you are <laughs> i was like looking at my fruit and nuts like oh oh you're really gonna make a change get a grip anyways the bechdel <laughs> test is <laughs> and those internal monologues pass the bechdel test uh wow true yeah because my rage at myself is uh about women uh so <laughs> The Bechtel test is a media metric created by Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Uh, many different versions of this test, but the one that we use on the show requires that two characters of a marginalized gender with names must speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue. And as you will learn in our Empire Records episode, it doesn't matter how weird or chaotic that dialogue is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> True. So that's the Bechtel test. Mm -hmm. We're covering Empire Records today. It's been a request for quite some time. Yes. And we have an amazing guest to observe Rex Manning Day with. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. So she is a culture editor at Autostraddle. She's also written for Thrillist, Bitch Media, and Vogue magazine. She is Shelly Nicole. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> we were toying off mic with introducing, I mean, we were all in on it, but uh, possibly bringing you in as Shrekky Nicole <laughs> and just seeing how far into the episode we could at the end, that is exactly what I'd like to be referred I will change my Twitter handle if I have to. I promise you, I will. <laughs> You're like, Shrekky, what's your history with Empire Records? <laughs> okay, so when Caitlin was talking about um, taking wheat brownies in a guar video, before you mentioned the guar video, I was just like, so that's what kind of podcast this is. I knew it all. <laughs> oh, well, I wish I could do weed. Every time I consume do any weed. amount, <laughs> not do weed. Caitlin, what do you say? You sound like you're in the CIA when you say stuff like that. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. Want to do some weed and listen to some guar on our Walkman? Like on the clock at work while I'm literally supposed to be like working. <laughs> Oh, is that before uh, or after he um, low-key assaults a woman by grabbing her foot and kissing her foot? I think that was after, when after. she was just trying to do ballet mm -hmm. and mind her own business, and he kisses her feet. Yeah. And he, yeah, and he tries to kiss her head also. Yeah. It's Yikes. not a good look, Mark. No. It's not a good look. Mark is a disaster. There, <laughs> there, there, I'm so excited to talk about this movie, especially just like learning about the production of this movie is so wild. Yeah. And some of the result of that is you just get like bizarro disembodied shots like that, that you're like, what is happening? Yeah. What am I, what is the takeaway? And sometimes they're like, that was just kind of a vibes based shot that we chose. We just kind of felt like doing it and uh, it's 1996. Yeah. So we're gonna do it. Let's party. Let's party. <laughs> the narrative trajectory in this movie is so hard to track and fall. I was getting so much whiplash. I got it, a nosebleed. It was wild. I'll save it. But okay. <laughs> Shelly. I'm sorry. Shrekky. Shrekky. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, 
tell us about your history, your relationship with Empire Records. Um, it literally started with Liv Tyler's crop top. And mm. I promise. <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's it. I watched this movie in middle school and found it when I was in Blockbuster. I used to go to Blockbuster with my dad. Sorry. I used to force my father to take me to Blockbuster every Friday. Um, uh-huh. And I would always spend like an insane amount of time like trying to pick out one video. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where he would eventually start waiting in the car. And then I would bang on the Blockbuster window and be like, I'm ready to check out. Like, that's how long it would take me to, like, pick a movie. Mm-hmm. But I found this movie. I go through still, like, spurts of, like, I only want to watch movies about this specific subject. And at that time, I was obsessed with schoolgirls. And to me, that meant that anybody wearing a plaid skirt was clearly a schoolgirl, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's incorrect. <laughs> but um, I, I saw this movie, like, on one of the shelves. And I grabbed it because of her crop top and because of the skirt. But also, I grabbed it because I recognized her from, and this was in like 2000 when I saw it, right? Mm -hmm. I recognized her from the Aerosmith video as the other girl Mm. who was with Cher. Because I just knew. Yeah, Yeah, I just knew Alicia Silverstone as Cher. Um, (laughs) And I had never really seen her in anything else. But that video is also kind of a, a queer route for me. So I saw that and I was just like, so if she's in this, I don't know, maybe Cher might show up, but also maybe it'll be <laughs> a little gay. Uh, I obviously mm-hmm. wasn't using the word gay at that time in my life, but I thought it, maybe I would get a crossover. And I saw it, I rented it, and then I proceeded to rent it like maybe every week for the next like two months mm-hmm. instead of just uh. asking to fucking buy movie you like sunk 50 dollars into the empire records industrial complex they needed the money they lost a lot of money they absolutely lost a lot of fucking cash but i made up for it at least within two months of blockbuster video please (laughs) um and i rented it over and over i watched it and i just loved it because at the time i was trying to insert myself into movies i've always loved films and stuff like that but at that time in my, my life, I was trying to, like, insert myself in some way into that world of whatever movie I was watching, mm-hmm. specifically teen films. And I have an obsession still to this day with movies that take place in one day because it's easier mm-hmm. for me to put myself inside of that world if it's just one day. Like, what would I wear? Which one of these characters would I be friends with? Mm-hmm. So, like, in Ferris Bueller, 200 Cigarettes, uh, The Breakfast Club, Mallrats, all those movies one day and mm-hmm. same with empire records wow. and then i just got obsessed with the storyline and then i was like 13 or something when i tried to like go and work at this record store in ferndale michigan i'm from detroit mm-hmm. and they were like a year 13 <laughs> and i was <laughs> like yeah but i've been watching this fucking movie man and i like really want to work at a record store and they were like you're 13 you can't work here so you were like the Warren. Yeah, who I was just absolutely like... Warren. And I <laughs> Warren is a wild character, but he's probably like my second favorite character mm-hmm. in the movie. So that's my connection with it. And I love it to this wow. day. Wow. And then you wrote a wonderful piece on the film yeah. in which you discuss your connection with it and the friendship between Gina and Corey. And yeah, we'll... we'll uh, Very excited to get into that. We'll talk about that. But... um. Yeah, well, we're so excited to 
discuss <laughs> further. Jamie, what's your relationship with this movie? No history with this movie. I had not seen it before, which I I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm having kind of a tricky time knowing. I'm like, how popular is this movie? I know that it was like a flop on release and then it has become kind of a cult classic. But I don't I'm like, I don't know how many people I know have seen this movie. If I'm unusual for having not seen it, there are so many famous people in it also. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't seen this movie. I got such intense whiplash watching it, but there were parts I really enjoyed and and learning about, I think I maybe liked learning about the production of this movie even more than I liked the movie itself because it's just such a wild story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. once you know, like basically for, for listeners who are not familiar with it, it's this movie was just like hacked to death by studio executives. It was originally 40 minutes longer. I guess they cut three major characters. I have some guesses is it what they are. That lady Jane, I feel like had to have had something else. Like you can just see, like there was a really, really like good script at some point, and then they just cut out whole chunks of it. So then yeah. you get stuff like Liv Tyler is addicted to pills, and it's like there's only ten minutes left in the movie. What are you talking about? There, <laughs> um, etc. I I just thought it was a chaotic, weird, wild ride. I'm very excited to talk about it, Caitlin. What's mm-hmm. your history? with Empire Records. I also had no history. I Holy thought I shit. had seen this movie. I thought this was one of those movies that I like watched in college because I was like, I have to watch all these, you know, cult classics and all this stuff. And I think I had just seen a bunch of similar movies such as mm. Reality Bites, Mall Rats, High Fidelity, Dazed and Confused maybe. Like I'd seen all those mm. and I just thought... This is a lot of Renee Zellweger movies, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then I started watching the movie and none of it was familiar. And I realized I, in fact, had never seen it. Mm-hmm. So, um, hmm. I don't want to be the villain of the episode, but I do You'd love not to be the villain of the episode. <laughs> like the movie, especially from like a screenwriting standpoint. And we'll talk about how the story that unfolds and is kind of like muddled and random and like whiplashy as it often gets. It's like not the fault of the screenwriter. Cause like you said, Jamie, there's a lot of mm. studio notes and, and changes and also like post-production changes that made the, from a screenwriting point of view, the story <laughs> really. Right. Which, which Shelly, you like laid out really clearly in, in your piece as well of just like how much was yeah hacked out of this a lot of stuff went through it because i got to talk to carol hyphenin that's so cool so i got to talk to like the writer and everything about mm-hmm. it and it was really cool and she was telling me just like and we'll get into it obviously but like just how hacked up the movie ended up being like mm-hmm. for the audience when it actually came out mm-hmm. versus the cult classic when like maybe 10 years later when people like me found it and like still loved it but it went through a lot Mm -hmm. it went through a lot yeah so just like watching the movie with having no nostalgia attached to it having never seen it watching it for the first time in 2022 as a person in my mid-30s i don't have quite the same attachment to it caitlin was Um, rooting for mitch it was i was rooting for mitch i was like yeah music town she's like make it a bidet (laughs) store again music sucks Tower records me. That's what I want. Uh, Capitalism. Give it to me. Yes. 
I do love, I mean, that 90s convention where they're like, capitalism is one guy. <laughs> exactly. Like, yep. Capitalism is just this one person in 1996 and right. he wants to sell toilets. <laughs> so, oh, and gosh. he's not that bad. And you're like, what is happening? I love it. <laughs> so the movie isn't necessarily for me, but there's a lot to talk about. So yeah. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. I guess I will attempt to recap the movie. <laughs> oh, good luck. I was going to say. I think will be the greatest challenge of my career. Shelly, jump in whenever uh, you okay. you know the text. I refuse because I've been like listening and I've been being like, okay, during the recap, shut the fuck up. And I will probably chime in two to seven times but like other than that i don't think this is going to be a very long recap so there's also that it's longer than you think oh my yeah. gosh i wrote yeah but there's all these things that happened and then it's like well it it's never referenced it again it. but it did yes. technically happen it did kind of happen yeah so i'll jump in occasionally okay cool all right here we go so we meet lucas played by rory cochran he is one of the employees of Empire Records, which is an indie record store in we're not sure what part of the country. He briefly chats with his colleague Gina, played by Renee Zellweger, about how tonight is a big night for him because their boss, Joe, is trusting Lucas to lock up, which means counting the money, dropping it in a safe, all that stuff. And as he's doing that, Lucas notices some paperwork about a corporate buyout of Empire Records by this conglomerate music town. This is all like narrated by Lucas <laughs> in this opening sequence, which is it's just one of the many bizarre things this movie does that makes me laugh that kind of comes and goes. And you're, mm -hmm. there's not really any rules about it where he's like narrating it like he's fucking Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, no, we're being bought out. And then he's like, and sometimes I'm like, is he talking to camera? And then sometimes people are talking to camera. But yeah. then most of the time they're not. Sometimes they're just right. talking to themselves. It's so confusing. Right. It doesn't happen enough to make it a consistent motif. Yeah. But it does. It does happen off, often enough that you notice it. So yeah. you're so I that's I wish it happened more because it's whenever <laughs> I, I do like when someone turns to camera i'm like that's such a goofy choice and i always like it it's my favorite thing right and it's even more of a thing when it's unnecessary and then inconsistent like, it's even better right. if it's a mess i want more of it <laughs> so anyway clearly the store is in financial trouble because of this like corporate buyout that's about to happen so lucas gets the idea to take the money that they earned that day i think or i don't know if it's like all the money in the safe i'm not sure but it's nine thousand dollars take it to atlantic city and gamble with it to try to earn enough to save the store capitalism <laughs> Unfortunately, Lucas loses all of the money and then heads out of town the next morning on his motorcycle. But don't worry, he'll be he'll be right back. Um, but the boss, Joe, comes into the store. He can't find the money. He's freaking out. Meanwhile, we meet the other staff as they come in to work that day. AJ, played by Johnny Whitworth. Mark, played by Ethan Embry. AJ is like this artsy, sensitive type. Mark is like a stoner doofus. 
Uh, we also meet Corey, played by Liv Tyler. She's like, little Miss Perfect, I'm going to go to Harvard. And she's wearing that crop top. Yes. She is. Just wanted to shout it out. It's important. <laughs> Feminist icon, blue that crop, crop top, top sweater. <laughs> and then we see Gina again. Again, that's Renee Zellweger. She's like the slutty one, quote unquote. They all come into work. They are all teenagers, question mark. We're not sure how old these people are, yeah. really, except for Liv Tyler, who seems to be a senior in high school. Right. I feel like they're like between 18 and like 23, 4? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too, because it's really only clear that it's her because she's going to Harvard. She's going to Harvard. Right. Yeah. Other than that, I think everyone's like under 25. Mm-hmm. You think? Yeah. Right. Because it's like implied that some of them are like working at Empire Records instead of going to college, college. or something. Yeah. Don't worry. There's not going to be a talk about loans or any people <laughs> in movies don't have college loans. It's just not a thing. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, but they're just like, I don't know. Like, do I want to keep chilling out here or do I want to go to art school in Boston? I'm like, right. honestly, as someone who did that, don't go to art school in Boston. <laughs> Keep your record store job. You're wasting your fucking money and your life. Okay? Don't do it. Wow. Zero out of ten. Shots would not fired. do again. In so much debt for no fucking reason. Didn't mm-hmm. learn a single thing. Yeah. No, I, um, as someone who went to mm, screenwriting school and got a screenwriting master's degree. I mean, you use it every week, Caitlin. I use it every single week. You use it every single week. <laughs> Can I tell you how much I wanted you to say that? And bring Not that you bring it up a lot, you know, no bigs. I would never i would never bring it you up. would oh, never. never you're not that kind of not person but i was so excited and hoping that you would uh-huh. just occasionally just a little bit there it is <laughs> and it's true it's all true it's all true okay so we meet the staff and also that day is rex manning day at mm-hmm. the store so a pop star named rex manning who kind of had his heyday in the 80s it seems is coming into the store to sign autographs and promote his new album. I think they're mapping him on like Barry Manilow. I was trying to figure, is it Barry Manilow? Okay, because I was like, <laughs> visually he's giving Barry Manilow. And right. I do love that he's so furious that all of his like listeners are his age. I'm like, what did you, what did you expect, sir? Leave, these mothers are paying your rent. Show some respect. <laughs> I have a whole thing about his fan base in the movie and like what that telegraphs to the audience. Mm. We'll get that. Oh, but. yeah. That, well, I mean, that's like classic Gen X movie. Like people over 30 should die. <laughs> like, okay. oh, yeah. God, the most annoying generation. Sorry to our listeners who are a member of it. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Our, our generation takes plenty of shit. But. I mean, maybe every generation is bad. Just putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, wipe out the species. Done. <laughs> We've had our chance and we blew it as humans. Whatever. Millennials, we have ugly pants. Like, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Our generation never figured out pants, and I stand by that. I really just don't. I think we tried, like, several times to, like, get down pants that would work on more than one body type conceptually, mm. and we just, like, kept fumbling it in new and interesting ways. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, my boot cut flare legs from American Eagle were awesome. No. I'm wearing skinny jeans that I glued to my body, and I think that they actually look and feel really comfortable. You're <laughs> just like, all right. We, we fucked up pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we established that it's Rex Manning Day. 
Corey wants to lose her virginity to Rex Manning while he's there. We also learn that AJ is secretly in love with Corey, and today is the day that he plans to tell her. We meet another employee who comes in, Deborah, played by Robin Tooney. She comes in, she shaves her head, she has a bandage on her wrist, which some of the other staff notices. She also has a pretty antagonistic relationship with many other members of the staff, especially Corey and Gina. Yeah, she's a guy's gal. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel ugh, I. That's one of the more frustrating things about this movie, where it's like there's there's clearly was so much more to Deb's story or Deborah's story at one point, and it it just feels so obvious that so much of it went away, and it's like I want. I want this context of why you struggle to connect with other women because I feel like it would have landed mm-hmm. so much better when she's it seems like she has issues with her mom. Yeah. And I just I was like, oh, there was a story in there, but we didn't we didn't get to see it. Nope. Anyways, um, then Lucas shows back up, the guy who had taken the nine thousand dollars at the beginning of the movie. Joe is like, where's my money? And Lucas tells Joe that it is recirculating in Atlantic City, which is very funny. (laughs) Then Joe is like, well, okay, well, what the hell? And he considers calling the cops and pressing charges against Lucas, but he does not do that. No, because fathers and sons (laughs) can't do that. And then Joe explains that he had gotten together enough money to buy the store from the owner, this guy, Mitch. AKA Mr. Capitalism. Mr. Capitalism. (laughs) And this would have allowed Joe to stop Mitch from selling the store to Music Town. But now he can't do that because this $9,000 is gone because apparently it costs only $9,000 to buy a store. I'm like, where do they live? And that's the thing, especially because he comes back so fast. Like, even if he gets back the next day, like, where are they but then also they're like on this like really pretty seaside because when mark goes out to take a break you see that and then yeah. when they go pick up Corey, you see all that i don't know but it it only costs nine thousand dollars to save a record store in 1996 so not to save but to buy right right that has like beachfront property <laughs> yeah that's, and three floors uh-huh. <laughs> like, right so much downtown. square footage <laughs> so much square footage it's downtown there's three floors it's beachfront property it has a beautiful smoke break section and a place for staff to live because burko lives back there oh wait i didn't even realize that yeah he like comes from back and it, so i don't know it's a very good live workspace for nine thousand dollars so <laughs> that is so funny it's i and again i'm just like i also like gen x don't yell at me i love you guys it's all good but like <laughs> i'm just like what are you guys so upset about? It costs $9,000 to have a three-floor house downtown. Like, enjoy it while it lasts, bitch. Like, what are you so mad about? Damn, Anyways. I don't know, man. It's all... Man, the man sucks, the man. man. The man. Mr. Capitalism Mr. is Capitalism. peeing on my floor. Like, like oh, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so because Lucas lost this $9,000, Joe has no choice but to transition the store into a music town very soon, which means that they would have to, again, answer to the man. Mm-hmm. They'd lose the cool indie vibe of the store. They'd have to follow all these strict rules. So no one who works at Empire Records is happy about this. 
Which is true. I mean, I like that, like, this is, like, all based on Tower Records and, like, that whole yeah. story and, like, saving indie Like, that end of stuff, I'm like, oh, that's, like, very compelling and cool. And sure. places like that truly do not exist anymore. Like, Tower Records, I think, went out of business in, like, 05 or something. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of working at, like, an indie alt comedy venue, which I did for several years. Yeah. And, like, the, yeah. the vibe and the camaraderie with your fellow staff and that was my favorite aspect of the movie mm. but um yeah so i get i get that yeah so what's the next scene that happens because it's truly just like and then another scene happens <laughs> but, <laughs> it's so hard to keep track of but i think it's that lucas stops a shoplifter warren who is trying to steal a bunch of cds the staff shames warren and then they make him stick around just sitting on a couch while they wait for the cops to show up i was just like there there is this weird like no exit vibe to that room like it's just kind of like empire records purgatory where it's like if you're in trouble you just have to sit in this room and you could leave at any time but for whatever reason you don't you don't right yeah yeah because joe is like lucas you stole nine thousand dollars from me well gosh darn it you better sit on this couch and don't you dare get up from that couch and then lucas just stays on the couch for like the first half of the movie yeah daddy said so (laughs) (sighs) okay so then so the people are lining up for rex manning day rex manning shows up with someone who might be his assistant it might be his publicist we're not really sure what jane's job is i'm convinced this is one of the characters that got super super cut down because mm-hmm. she seems like she belongs too. there yeah. yeah yeah and it's uh debbie Mazur too which is just fucking yes. like incredible who i'd like to nominate for the eyebrow hall of fame to this day <gasps> yes yes like if you see her on younger where she plays like i don't know the coolest dyke in the world um yes, the eyebrows are show. still like inc- i'm like doing a rewatch of younger right now um but she has like incredible eyebrows but also in 1996 she she had beautiful 1996 eyebrows too, mm-hmm. so. she did yeah she's uh i it, i've it took me until like her second appearance in empire records to be like oh she's from younger yeah younger underrated baby mm-hmm. underrated show she's so great yeah that character like again i mean so many characters are full chaos but her in particular where she's like there and then she has like a scene and then she's like i quit but she says i quit to joe and i'm like do you work for him and then later she comes back and she's like okay joe i want to go on a date with you and i was like how old are any of these characters i don't understand (laughs) uh how do they know each other i thought that they were meeting at the beginning of that yeah i thought so too yeah but apparently empire records is gonna empire records in that i don't know what the fuck is happening at any (laughs) given point in the movie oh gosh okay so rex starts signing autographs he seems very resentful that his fan base is largely middle-aged women mostly everyone who works at empire records thinks that rex manning sucks and jane is like oh yeah i guess he does suck i quit working for him but i'm gonna tell (laughs) joe and not rex (laughs) tell someone unrelated (laughs) then another employee shows up burko he and deborah seem to have some history there's also been other scenes you know scattered throughout the movie of things like staff putting on music and dancing around the store 
quick conversations between various characters to establish more of their like relationship dynamic, other random things here and there. Those scenes are fun. I love the concept of veto. That was my like one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that is such a record store like thing. It is so cool and definitely something I tried to like implement in drama club and oh, in high school. Nice. Except no one fucking knew what I was talking about, so I just like <laughs> had to eat my bag of Skittles, and I was like, it's fine. <laughs> just because you guys don't know film doesn't mean that that has anything to do with me. But whatever. <laughs> They're like, what is Shreky talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Shrekie, please sit down. And I was just like, you know what? In about 10 years, I'm going to have my day about this movie. So it'll be Mm. fine. Oh, my God. But also, quick side note, the guy who played Burko was Liv Tyler's stepdad at the time. Yes. Oh. Coyote Shivers is his name. Yeah. And of course. Okay. First of all, of course, Liv Tyler has a stepdad named Coyote Shivers. Shivers. I guess I've never been less shocked in my life. Liv Tyler's had such a wild life. I was going to say, yeah, if you ever have an opportunity and you just want to go for a quick ride on Wikipedia, go to Liv Tyler's uh, Wikipedia page. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes it's like sometimes I get annoyed at nepotism stuff and then you read Liv Tyler's Wikipedia page and it's like she deserves everything she has because she's been through enough. There is so much weirdness in that (laughs) poor woman's life. Mm. And and if you want a a real journey of the spirit, watch Liv Tyler's Architectural Digest video because it's like she's a weird lady. (laughs) Do you? Okay, this is taking, I love a good kismet moment. Sorry, Caitlin. (laughs) Just like, um, can you all shut? This is my seventh and final interruption, by the way. Um, (laughs) Don't limit yourself. But I just was making my partner watch Architectural Digest videos. We've been watching them all morning. And it started because I was like, let's watch Liv Tyler's. And we've been watching it all day. It's my favorite one because I want it. I want it. (laughs) All right. Sorry. Back to the insane plot that is Empire (laughs) Records. I don't know where we are in it, but... (laughs) I don't know either. Liv Tyler and Dakota (laughs) Johnson, two weird nepotisms giving... The Architectural Digest tours of a lifetime. You're just like, oh, no one's ever uh, told you that you're weird before because you're so beautiful and you grew up with so much money. But you're being so weird right now, Liv Tyler. <laughs> but you're fucking weird, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So um, the next thing that happens is Mitch, the guy who owns Empire Records, shows up to pick up yesterday's money Joe decides not to rat Lucas out for stealing it. And instead, Joe stuffs the like money pouch thing full of scrap paper to make it seem like it's full of cash. And then he gives that to Mitch. Mm-hmm. Then Corey insists on fixing lunch for Rex Manning because that's going to be her opportunity to seduce him, which she tries to do. And he's basically like, okay, well, you can suck my dick. And then she realizes... She's like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, she feels humiliated. She runs up to the roof where she bumps into AJ, who finally professes his love for her. Chaos. But she is distraught and she wants to be alone. So he leaves feeling very rejected. Mm -hmm. Then Gina tries to comfort Corey about this Rex Manning thing. But Corey ends up aggressively slut-shaming Gina, 
So then Gina decides to seduce Rex Manning and she has sex with him. While that's going on, Corey goes up to AJ and says, I'm sorry I freaked out before, but I just don't think of you like that. You're my best friend. And I'm like, that's news to me because I thought your best friend was Gina or what? Like, are you friends at all? We haven't seen you talk on screen yet. I'm sure. I was like, I'm sure that they, I thought the, uh, I feel like the movie was like, and she doesn't even know I exist. But then she's like, you're my best friend. I was like, oh, she doesn't know Like, she knows you exist. She just wants nothing to do with you right. not very manaloian enough for her apparently i guess but yeah i know and then it was like she at the end i mean whatever things are about to get so out of control but she's like you're such a talented artist and i was like have we seen him do any art do we know what his art looks like he, what is he any good he like, glued some quarters to the floor and oh, yeah. called that art we do see him like sketching some things here and there and he does yeah. seem to be a pretty talented artist so i i'll allow it okay but um, good for him <laughs> that scene did remind me of what is it when like Steve Zoncat from Stuart Little or someone's like, you're my best friend. So, well, you're my best friend. <laughs> oh, and Steve like, Zahn's greatest role. Move over everything he's ever done. Steve Zahn as Cat from Stuart Little is so funny. <laughs> Snowball, you're my best friend. Oh my God. Oh, it's so iconic. funny. He should. He could have been. He could have been in this movie. He would have fit into this world. Alfred Molina yeah. could have played Joe. Oh yeah, very true. Well. Uh huh. Yeah, because what's his name? Uh, Joe is played by Anthony Lapaglia. Lapaglia. Yeah. Lapaglia. Uh, not sure. I did not know who this man was, but I did figure out halfway through that he is definitely Australian because he kept forgetting that his character wasn't Australian. Or <laughs> he just like it was a little thing when he was was like. I forget. He's like talking to Lucas about something and he's like, you give the money back. You're like, whoa, wait, hold on. Where are we? Oh my gosh. I kept Um, being like, I know that's not Bill Pullman, but is it Bill Pullman? Yeah. Big Bill Pullman wasn't available vibes. I mean. Yeah. Okay. So Corey has told AJ she thinks of him as her best friend and that's why she's not interested in him romantically and he's like that's bullshit and he storms off and then we see Corey take a pill which i think is the first time we've seen her do that the implication being that she is like dealing with addiction or you know drug abuse issues something so then there's a scene where uh the entire store starts dancing to rex manning's song while rex manning and gina are having sex in another room but then joe comes down into the store and he's like well enjoy this while you can because this time next week this is gonna be a music town he just like runs downstairs and is like stakes and you're like oh my god what there there's enough stakes we need to like finish a storyline don't start another one and this is when he gets really angry at lucas and punches him father's sons he beats him up from a screenwriting standpoint this movie the inciting incident happens like three minutes into the movie which it's more standard for that to be like 15 minutes into a feature-length film so it all, mm-hmm. it happens right away before there's any exposition before we know anything about anyone we get the inciting incident then there are there's a full i would say 60 to 70 minutes of 
after this conflict, a compelling conflict being established of like, we have to save this store, but oh no, the money is lost. What do we do to recoup that money and save the store? That conflict basically goes away for like 60 to 70 minutes and then at the very end which we're getting too soon he read stars he's like remember the movie and i was like no no i don't but i'm having so much fun being confused uh, okay so but before we get to the very end so um joe assaults lucas but their fight quickly blows over and then everyone finds out that Gina is having sex with Rex Manning, including Corey, who feels especially betrayed. So then AJ attacks Rex Manning, and then AJ gets punched. Another another teenager or like young person getting punched by a full adult man. Then they kick Rex out of the store. Uh-huh. Gina and Corey get into a screaming match. Gina outs Corey's drug abuse. Corey starts trashing the store, but then her coworkers stop her. She calms down, and then Deborah provides some emotional support to Corey. They have a nice moment together. Then several random scenes where we see Mark eating weed brownies and fantasizing about being in a Guar music video. Out of uh, we see- nowhere. I f- it almost <laughs> just feels like sometimes this movie just does stuff where I feel like they're like... So that was pretty heavy, right? Here's a yeah. here's a little palate cleanser. <laughs> and I remember watching that the first time. And I actually, every time I rented it, and honestly still when I watch it to this day, I fast forward through that scene. Now a little bit, it's a little bit more blended as like, I guess now that I do like culture writing and critiquing of films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But honestly, most of it is just because I hate it. It makes no sense. <laughs> it doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I hate every moment of that. See, it's the worst shot out of everything fire. they cut. Out of everything that's on the mm-hmm. cutting room floor. <laughs> that makes the final cut. Of this movie. They were like, now that stays. Don't you touch it. And I was like, Okay, I guess. Well, probably because they like paid Guar. Oh yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so. that's uh, it. <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, we can't just have wasted that money." So, I bet that that is it. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a mess. I'm <laughs> that I'm laughing, but what a mess. <laughs> so then Jane comes back. She asks Joe out for dinner, and he's like, "Sounds great." Then the staff has a mock funeral for Deborah, during which everyone you know, divulges some personal things. They bond with each other. And this is also when Gina shows back up and she and Corey make up. I love a good plot resolution via well-timed eavesdrop where she Mm. just happens to walk in the room and Liv Tyler's like, I miss Gina. I love her so much. She's so, she's a, (laughs) she's the woman I can never be. And then Gina's like, no. And then Gina says what her stakes were the whole time, apparently, where she walks in. She's like, I don't want to be like my mother. You're like, who's your mother? And she's like, I want to be a singer. I was like, you do? And then one scene later, she's a singer. And we're Uh like, "Uh, uh, good for her, I guess. Like... (laughs) Yeah. Um, So then Warren, the kid who had tried to shoplift from the store, comes back with a gun and starts shooting the store up, but it's okay because they're blanks. It is. It turns out he just wanted to work at the record store the whole time. What is happening? Like, (laughs) which is like the most... 
white teenager with a gun thing ever too yes. to just have it be like oh he was just having a bad day it's all good let's give him a job at the record store and that'll help you're just like <laughs> no no don't do that it's mind boggling but yeah he he gets taken away by the cops again sort of but they're just like well the gun was filled with blanks and he's a minor so we can't really do anything and then in the next scene he's back at the oh store working and also <laughs> drinking so, too and like, drinking yeah. even though he's like 15 or something and, yeah <laughs> he's real little like i just don't know what was happening like at, 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 there did reach a point where i was just like my brain is smooth like i anything could happen <laughs> and so when it goes to like she's on pills the store is going to close down i love you i don't want to be like my mom we're give, we're doing a fake funeral now someone's shooting up the store you're just like uh-huh like, yeah okay yeah okay like, i guess awesome what a weird day that was me watching it i was like yeah okay cool like when i first saw it i was mm-hmm. like this tracks i'll do it yeah. i want to go work at a record store actually so lauren could he's 13 apparently so why can't i yeah right yeah who can't who can't get a job at this place <laughs> And you'll never get fired, despite all of the <laughs> really wild things. Because Joe needs to be daddy. Oh, gosh. Okay, so Warren coming back with a gun actually becomes plot relevant because then news anchors show up to report on the story. So then Mark jumps into the newscast to promote a fundraiser event that the store is going to hold that night, which I guess Mark just decided, oh, let's do a fundraiser. (laughs) So they put it together. A bunch of people show up. They have a big party. Uh, Gina, Burko, and some other guy play live music. Everyone's dancing. They're drinking. Uh, They raise a bunch of money. And then Mitch, the owner, shows up again. And he's like, what is going on? And then Joe takes the money they raised and buys the store from Mitch for, again, ballpark of $9,000. A solid maybe $274. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's not, there is not $9,000 in that. In that like bucket thing. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. Maybe a grand tops. Maybe. (sighs) But he buys the store from Mitch nonetheless. And so everyone is celebrating. Corey goes to AJ and screams at him and pushes him and hits him, telling him, you're so talented and you need to go to art school. And he's like, okay, I'll go to art school and I'm going to go in Boston so I can be near you when you're at Harvard. And she's like, awesome. And then they kiss. (laughs) And she goes, really? And then they kiss. And you're like, I did. I forgot that they knew each other. Um... (laughs) And then, the, and then the movie ends with everyone dancing on the roof, which is fun. So <laughs> that's the story. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back to discuss. Bean Dad, The Dress, Thirty to Fifty Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. 
because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay. What is hello? Like what do we, what well, she- Shelly? Yeah, <laughs> Shelly, kick us off. What do you what do you want to talk about? Because I'm like, Bleh. I mean, here's the thing. Like as I watch this movie, like I I watched this with completely different eyes at first, and that's why mm-hmm. when I talk about the movie, I know every single one of its faults that it has. Like, don't get me wrong, totally. but there are certain movies that I'm not excusing some of them. A lot of the faults on this, I am like, it's fine. I don't care. It's perfect. <laughs> right. um, but other ones, I am like, what? Like, you know, with like Corey and Rex Manning and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as chaotic as it is, I think it... For me, I love it because, again, it's one day and it makes so much sense to me up here that even the cut of it, so much can happen in a day. Like if we were to cut up our own one day, my Friday, like we were talking about all the craziness that I had with like breaking my computer and then I could all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of smash cuts. And this film is a bunch of essentially a bunch of smash cuts of stories with a really good soundtrack. And a lot of it can be excused, but other ones, I I just kind of live in that film world when I watch it, and I'm like, everything's fine. That one gift, that little cat or whatever sitting with the flames mm-hmm. behind him, that's me watching this movie. And I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> totally. And I, like, mm-hmm. so we've been dunking on the, like, plot of the movie pretty hard <laughs> throughout the recap and stuff, but... At its core, it's a movie about like a ragtag group of misfits who come together. They found a community at this store. They have fairly interesting relationship dynamics among them. And that's a very relatable story for many, many people. And that's the reason this movie has developed such a cult following. It's, you know, it, it really speaks to 
anyone who might feel like an oddball or anyone who is drawn to the idea of a chosen family. Exactly. You know, stuff like that. So I totally get that. I, I enjoy that aspect of the movie and then there's also like the anti-corporate we have to maintain the integrity of this cool indie alt space you know screw the man down with the establishment which right in the form that it takes in this movie is a very like 90s gen x like that's exactly it (laughs) version very that of like you know as long as i can work in this indie record store without the man breathing down my neck I don't really care what else is going on in the world. I don't have I don't have yeah. time for more pressing social issues. Yeah. I just right. want to fucking listen to Guns N' Roses, man. <laughs> and why? Right. And I just want to eat Skittles and burn <laughs> CDs. Right. And I just want to live on this couch and carry it around with me. And I don't care about anything else that's happening in the world. But the whole my whole world is this store. This nine mm-hmm. to five that I or Wait, open till midnight. midnight. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Empire Records, open till midnight. Can I tell you how many times I answered my house phone like that? And so my my dad was like, we're done. We're finished. (laughs) I love it. We're not doing this anymore. Also, I would answer my phone. Hello, Faulty Towers. Any show that had a pickup, Uh, I was just like. Nice. Yeah. Weird time in the household with me. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, I think it was just like so 90s based. And I, I was always obsessed with the 90s. Like you can be like born in a time but not be an adult in that time and mm-hmm. I was like that's how it is and that's how it's gonna that's how it was that's what I missed and that's what it's gonna be like when I'm a grown-up too so that's why mm-hmm. I just was like this is dope yeah uh, sure yeah I mean it 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 does feel so like of its time in a way that is like kind of fun and nostalgic where I'm just like you know with these characters it's it's so funny it was ugh, what is the I always forget the name of it the Matthew Lillard movie about selling out and it's about the man. SLC Punk? Yes. Yeah. Yes. SLC Punk, I feel like, is a more self-aware version of this storyline where it's, like, very clear by looking at, like, and also just, like, knowing how generations tend to pan out of, like, yeah. half of these kids are going to be, like, Wall Street bankers and <laughs> cause the recession. But this is their moment. Corey's going to Harvard. Like, right. you right. know, like... <laughs> No. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> things are like not gonna, you know, and then, you know, AJ or is that? Yeah, like he's gonna like change to a business major one semester in and they're gonna be the most boring people to ever ever live and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. No offense to business majors, except actually, I don't think I actually think I, I offense to them. <laughs> offense yeah, to, whatever. yeah, offense to business yeah, majors. Like, what, what do you? Yeah, you should have gone to art school like me. <laughs> yeah, why didn't you get a master's degree in screenwriting? Hello. Yeah, we're the moral authority of the fucking planet. Anyways, yeah, it's just it's it's so nineties, and I I mean, but so much of like you reference this in your piece, Shelley, of like how it seems like this story had really good bones and those bones were just like repeatedly like a crowbar was taken to the bones by editors. And like, I was fascinated to find out that um, in the original draft of this movie, Corey was not trying to lose her virginity at all. She was just a big fan of Rex. And I think what kind of like blew me with that too, like all the different changes that I could find. And also when I did interview Carol, I didn't, I didn't want to interview her in a sense of being like, 
how did this end up this way? You feel me? I did. But I had so many of those questions that I wanted to ask. But she kind of just like let it out anyway and told me a lot of different things. But what was a big part of a lot of the changes to this movie, honestly, was Clueless. Like there was already so Mm -hmm. many high school movies, either in production and post being made. Scripts had already been bought that they were trying to like stand out in some way. And this is already a movie about a ragtag bunch of emo kids in, I don't know, East Jesus Nowhere, Seattle. Like, and they couldn't <laughs> mm-hmm. figure out what to do with it. And so they cut it up, they tore it apart. And then what I think they tried to bring it back on was the music. Because who would watch this movie, right? The kids that think they hear certain songs first. The kids that think that they're the only one who knows, like, one band and things like mm-hmm. that but even that couldn't save it at the box office yeah it had to wait years for us to find it or for me mm-hmm. and to be like <laughs> this is the most important movie of all time <laughs> so right yeah well i'm also interested to hear more about something you talk a lot about in your piece which was published in marie claire entitled empire records helped me understand my queerness and uh you cite the friendship between Gina and Corey, you kind of like, yeah. I don't know if it was like a shipping thing necessarily, but like you drew inspiration from that mm-hmm. in terms of like that powerful friendship. And that was sort of like the basis of what you were yeah. kind of looking for in romantic relationships. And yeah, just, I'd, I'd love to hear you speak more about that. Yeah, no, it was because like when I was watching at that time, this is like middle school and like all of us, right. Had, a shitty time in middle school but I always say like my middle school experience was fucking terrible right and mm-hmm. I used uh I was ready to get out and but you're in sixth grade you have two more years left you know you're like but the only mm-hmm. way out was through movies like this and the teen movies that I would watch about high school because I would be like this is what's coming mm-hmm. next for me and this isn't only what's gonna come next to me with friends maybe this is what comes next for me for like romantic kind of shit too you know Mm -hmm. but I was never really attaching I wasn't looking for queerness in this film I was just looking I loved watching movies where girls were best friends because like I didn't have really like a best friend that was just like that close you know and then when Mm -hmm. I started to grow up and I went to college and stuff like that I learned about the lesbian or queer girl trope where they're like all lesbians or queer girls like end up falling in love with their best friend You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whether it's reciprocated or not. And I had never fallen in love with any friend except for one girl in like elementary school where I realized that I was queer. But Mm -hmm. when I was watching this specific movie, this was the first one where the two best friends had like a hella falling out. And it made me really sad because I thought they were never, I thought it wasn't going to get back together. And I thought they weren't going to have a friendship anymore, which for me was breaking down my little cute world of of what friendship is and what queerness could be with another Mm -hmm. girl because in Clueless they were always best friends in Jawbreaker they didn't like each other from me to begin with Mm -hmm. and then like in Can't Hardly Wait that was an like unrequited love but it was between a cis male and then a cis girl and stuff Mm -hmm. so this was the only movie where I saw two outcasts essentially Mm -hmm. be best friends and then fall out and then come back together and a stronger way and that's all I thought I wanted in friendships and then eventually relationships when I grew up so I I found queerness in it even though that wasn't a queer relationship at all Mm -hmm. but at the heart of so many queer girl 
relationships is friendship. So that's how I connected queerness to it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what's really cool about a movie like this, where, again, even if I'm, like, dragging it from a screenwriting point of view, like, you can still, like latch on to really meaningful things like that and yeah. and clearly so many people have because of this movie's like cult fan base and everything yeah yeah i think that's just like a a, a wonderful thing and i'll try to stop yeah. making fun of its lack of three-act structure no please don't <laughs> the film is chaotic and crazy yeah. and unorganized and all this but there was just so many things that i found in it mm-hmm. like from a screenwriting standpoint of view from a culture critic point of view like even if i was watching this movie and trying to take my personal feelings out of it mm-hmm. would i rip it apart no but i would not be giving it four stars on letterbox like i do now <laughs> most of those stars are because i loved it you know yeah also another good thing that i saw in this movie that i connected with was a character we lost a lot of gina with her um not gina um deborah 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 yeah and yeah she was clearly like cutting right because she talks about it with like a lady Bick and stuff and mm-hmm. at that time in my life, I was also self-harming, you know, when I was doing it. So I was seeing, I saw that something I hadn't seen in a movie mm-hmm. that had a happy ending, you know, essentially like, but a happy ending that was so true to the character, mm-hmm. like yeah. that character having that funeral and stuff. It wasn't like outlandish. It was one of the only things that kind of made sense a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I saw that, I thought that was cool because I was just like, damn, she's like, going through something she's not telling everybody about it she's private she's cutting her wrist is messed up but then she's like all right i want these girls to be best friends again so i'm gonna put myself and my shit on the table and hope they do too and then they did and Mm -hmm. they be friends again and that was another thing that made me be like i don't care that this record store costs only nine thousand dollars this movie is incredible (laughs) (laughs) that whole i want to like get into that like nest of relationships between the the girls in this movie or or the Mm -hmm. women i don't know how old they are uh i don't know yeah uh (laughs) these young adults uh but the gina Corey stuff it's again it's like i feel like you almost have to like headcanon your way through it a little bit but I, I don't know. I was able to get there and yeah. having a friendship like that, that I mean, the slut shaminess was very true to that time. And mm-hmm. while I would have liked to see more like apologies of like, I shouldn't have talked about you like that. that, like that yeah. was me being, cause it's clear they're projecting onto each other in a way that mm-hmm. is like, just talk it out. Like just have a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, because Corey is feeling insecure about, like, she thought she was ready to lose her virginity. And then it, like, she had this traumatic experience and she's like, I'm not. But instead of talking that out, she is projecting onto her friend who she Mm -hmm. is jealous of. And is like, well, you have sex all the time and you're a slut. And then Renee Zellweger, I mean, she, I appreciated how, how Gina was like, fuck you. Like, you can't talk to me like that. I did too. That was a cool moment. Yeah. And then Deborah, oh, I I struggle with similar stuff as well and like I wish that it's and you're given these nuggets of like oh there was a real story in here at one point. There was so much there, yeah. Because it's like you get the smallest bit of context of because it's like we talk about this on the show all the time of like why are women randomly turned against each other which mm-hmm. I think in this movie it kind of comes off a little like they're randomly turned against each other because of how much is cut out mm-hmm. but it seems like there was enough context at one point. 
in the final draft, mm. not really. But you have mm-hmm. that one scene with Deborah and Joe where Deborah's doing Joe's taxes. And uh, like, I was like, <laughs> I don't quarterly know. Quarterly taxes. Yeah. Yeah. She's literally doing the taxes in like the recording little phone booth thing. Like, yeah. why can't she go to the office? I, I know. Why can't she be in that room where everyone's like. The back like, room's full, actually. Yeah. That's, that's true. why. Too many people. You can't focus on taxes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, Joe goes in and Joe is daddy and he's like, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Should I? I call your mom and she says like well I can't find my mom like she mm-hmm. it's implied that she has a very very strained possibly like abandonment related relationship with her mom which mm-hmm. would contextualize why she struggles to connect with other women sure. but you don't ever fully get there and that would have worked for me too it's like if if you had just been able to get there and then there's an implication that like Gina has an issue with her mom too it's only referenced once Uh and it seems like the screenwriter like had a plan for how these relationships were going like and how these women were going to like resolve their issues and connect yeah yeah and it just like you I wish we had gotten to see it I would love to see like a director's cut of this movie hell yeah does it exist especially like like I don't know. I think, did I ask that? Because I was going to go back and watch, like, you know how you have the interviews and stuff, but so much gets cut out, mm-hmm. but we, because I interviewed Carol through Zoom. Yeah. And I think I did ask that, and I think the answer to that is, like, yes, but will we see it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You feel me? But, yeah. because I think if we had gotten more story, too, it would have, on her, it would have made sense as to why she was so helpful to her in the bathroom to live Taylor in the bathroom because yeah. that was so personal and so like sweet but the way like if you didn't really pay attention to that character mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been like oh that makes sense for her to do that but I would like to see how they even got that and also her situation with Burko like what was going on there like right was, there's uh, like half content because she's like Deborah and Burko, who I always forget Burko is even a character because he like shows up halfway Same. through. Is he wearing a wig? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's just 1996. <laughs> was that just really bad hair? I was like, is that yeah. what's going on on his head? <laughs> like, I don't like it. <laughs> but I feel like it's implied that they have some kind of like romantic history. And he's like, are you okay? And she's like, what do you care? You didn't care last night. And then he's like, well... I don't know. And then she's like, you know, this isn't about you. But I I thought about what happened last night and last week and last year. And I just and you're like, really what like, happened? Right, right. And we don't like, know. We're thinking about it, too. <laughs> right. And then she just says, like, but this is I already told you this isn't about you. And it's like, OK, but also, like, what is the context of this relationship? And like, does yeah. that inform anything? And it, there's just like isn't enough information given there which i feel like is kind of a dangerous thing to do especially when you're trying to talk about suicidal ideation yeah Mm -hmm. the movie's handling of that felt pretty irresponsible and like didn't know how to handle it yeah and also like how they introduce her to the other two girls like when they came to trade uh cash drawers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and she was like shock me shock me shock me but it's just like, why is she so hateful to these other two girls? Mm-hmm. Is it because they're so girly girl and she just happens to be like a punk kind of girl who just hates those kind of girly girls? Or is it like mm-hmm. more than that? Or is that just how they're playing? I don't know. They put all the girls so against each other. Mm-hmm. And also with like 
Debbie Mazur's character too, low key a little bit, like yeah. how the girls saw her because she was hanging out with Rex and she was right. It just they put everybody so against each other, mm-hmm. but I wasn't paying attention at so much of that. I was always so focused on Corey and Gina, like throughout all of it, and they put them against each other too, though. Right, right. It's like they eventually they started united, and then they were very abruptly yeah torn apart and like. Again, I'm just like, I'm sure that there was a version of this where it made more sense. But I do, like, I agree with what you're saying as well, Caitlin, of like, when you're dealing with a narrative about self-harm, it's like, you have to have all of the context there mm-hmm. or it becomes potentially harmful. And the cut of this movie that was re- released, like, it's not intentionally harmful, but it right. could come off as like a little bit romanticizing, like, alt girl who doesn't fit in does this because that was how like I mean I think we've talked about this on the show before but like I learned how to self-harm from an episode of Degrassi which I don't think was their intention at all Mm. but it was like that was something that was like I wouldn't have known how to do that and but when my favorite character on a tv show started doing I was like oh that's something I can do and then it like became a problem immediately like it's mm. just you get you gotta be real careful. You have to be careful, especially also another way they had they kind of really should have explained a little bit more. Why was Liv Tyler's character so? I mean, I know they changed it. Obviously, she went to Eastern Virginia, but not, not really. But even like, why was she such a fan of this this older man? Mm-hmm. And the way that she talked about her dad too. She was like, "My dad pressures me, and he just wants me to like." go to Harvard and he wants me to do all my work. There's 24 usable hours in every day. The way they made her talk about the older men in her life, but didn't really explain why she wanted to do that. It could, it made it look like it was like romantic until he was like, I don't want to make love to you. You can definitely just suck my dick or whatever. Mm. But I really wanted, because for a second I was like, Oh, that's when I was watching and I was younger I was like that's kind of hot that she just like thinks this guy is so hot and she wants to like do all this stuff with him because the movie frames it that way yeah it frames it that way oh my god the way the camera moves on lived and Liv Tyler is a teenager in this movie and it's like exactly the camera movements on her air is really exploitative and gross yeah yeah I'm like let this leave this girl alone let's get her into the Lord of the Rings movies let's give her some sleeves let's let her live her life let's get it going let's get her out of here let's get her keep the crop top but (laughs) let's get her it's the Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's and and I would say the same thing with um and it's so abrupt that I, I think that the Deborah um uh, the issue of of self-harm was a bigger red flag to me. But the way that Liv Tyler's character's addiction storyline is dealt with mm-hmm. very abruptly was also I mean, it's like that one was so clearly half-baked yeah. in the way it's presented in the movie that I was like, we barely had time to deal with it. But it's like she's not really offered any resolution in that like Mm -mm. it's you're told very abruptly she is addicted to it seems like Adderall yeah or or like a speed like some kind of stimulant yeah some kind of speed yeah and then she is outed by her friend another traumatic thing Mm -hmm. she has like a a a small like fit or like a, a break she panics and she like lashes out and then she gets a boyfriend and I'm like, this doesn't right. Solve- like heterosexuality saves her or something like, like what, what are we going to do about the addiction stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, when she goes to Harvard, he's going to take care of her. Cause he'll be really close by. So he'll definitely just 
take care of her and take care of everything and she doesn't have to worry about anything and she'll be okay because now she's in love with this boy but her friend was the one who saved her well not saved her but not even her friend was the one who saved her it was another girl who helped her who used to hate her but then who used to hate her yeah but then you got on the rooftop and everything's fine but also what i kind another thing that i kind of think was good don't yeah quote me it's a podcast you have to um but (laughs) it'll be out here forever and ever but another thing that i kind of thought that the movie kind of did a bit right was and i mean light right Mm -hmm. was um renee zellweger kind of being like yeah i love sex i am this girl because she didn't apologize a lot for it right she did she should not have like done that to like get back at her friend and stuff like that but it didn't seem like she had an issue being a sexual, cool person. And I think she yeah. was of age. I think. We don't know. I think I think it's implied that she's a little bit older than that. And I don't even know why I think that. But I <laughs> Yeah. Do. I think they just wanted to make it clear that she's at least 18 when she was fucking like mm-hmm. Rex Manning. I think that's why they didn't have her talk a lot about school and stuff. But... I kind of dig that they were just having her like not be apologetic for it. She didn't want to be like her mom. So I'm assuming that was coming from like the job aspect of it. And maybe just like Mm. it was with sex too, some some of it, but she didn't seem to have an issue with it. And I kind of thought that was kind of cool a little bit, not like hella a lot, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, it seems that the it's far more the other characters who shame her for her who have an issue with it yeah than than the movie itself right um having any issue with like her being a sexually liberated person who's interested 90s girl <laughs> right. Yeah. right so yeah <laughs> that i thought that was interesting too it's so but then it's like again the movie I, you can just like see the studio notes happening in the last 10 minutes of the movie because she kind of doubles back on that at the end where she like enters the funeral and is like, no, I'm not a cool sexually liberated girl. This is actually, I'm going to be just like my mother. And we don't know what that means because we know nothing about Gina's family. We're like, that could mean anything. Yeah. And so she kind of like, I feel like she, she was like holding her ground the whole movie of like, how fucking dare you shame me? And then at the end she's like, but really, I'm just having sex because I'm afraid to be a singer. And I'm like, you can be a singer who has sex. Like, you can be a why singer. Why is it like who this sex. weird binary okay. of like, la la la? Like, yeah. But I did. That said, I did love that Liv Tyler line read where it was such like there's just like there's a few of these lines that I just they're so teen movie in a way that really warms my heart, no matter if I know what's going on or not. Mm-hmm. Where like Liv Tyler's like you're not going to be like your mother if you don't want to be like your mother. And I'm like, oh, I wish that was true. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it, what a 17, what an 18 year old thing to be sure of to, to say, be like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be like my mom. So I'm not going to be I'm like, that's just not how generational trauma works, but go off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's messy. It's messy. I think it's like, it's, it's a very messy show or a film, but I just feel like there was maybe that's another reason why I'm so attached to it, because I feel like there's a cut where there's reasoning behind some of it. And it doesn't I think it leaves all the actual like connections on the cutting room floor. And I think if we had a chance to pile those up and if the studio and stuff wasn't so scared about, oh, here's just another teen movie with another girl 
like nowadays, I don't think they would have given a fuck. They would have been like, there's another movie coming out that's exactly the same as this, but we're going to put it out anyway. (laughs) But they did it, you know? They were just, like, too scared. And I bet it would have done well. It would have done well, yeah. I really liked this. um, There's, like, an anecdote about how the executive who like bought empire records because there was like which is always exciting especially for a, a female screenwriter there was like a kind of like a small bidding war over the empire records original script mm-hmm. which i would really love to read i want to know how this movie was supposed to go yeah because it was less about capitalism and virginity in the first one it was all about like found you know chosen family yeah which i love um but there was a, an exec the executive who like bought it and like greenlit empire records was then the next day approached with the script for clueless mm-hmm. and he was like i don't need clueless i already have a teen movie and i'm like oh you fumbled so hard what an l that's so embarrassing that he's like i don't need it i got i have a hit on my hands and i'm like i already oh. have Liv tyler and renee zellweger i don't know who they really are yet but i'm i'm doing this one instead <laughs> i mean i see where he was going with that yes. but he was wrong <laughs> he was incorrect yeah um, especially because clueless was such a like surprise box office hit and in itself yeah empire records had a 10 million dollar budget and only grossed like sorry and only grossed like three hundred thousand dollars or something like that oh, but it was because the, the studio killed it yeah. it wasn't because people mm-hmm. didn't want to see it it's because the studio made it impossible for people to see because they fucked it up so hard yeah that they then had to kill it themselves and it's like and everyone lost as a result because carol was also telling me like they started pulling theaters like they were just Uh like okay well maybe not here maybe and then the run was also very short i think it was only in theaters for like maybe a month two weeks or something yeah something like that yeah and in such a small amount of theaters you they didn't even give it a chance they just yeah and then yeah they just so happened to like later it'd be like this like big hit or whatever with like the people who it really wasn't meant for but at the uh-huh. time yeah they killed it yeah hmm. <sighs> fucked i don't like it <laughs> yeah i because there is a really cool coherent movie here it's just yeah. not the one that it's ends up here. on the screen <laughs> it's not the one on the screen but like there's so much potential for a movie to be about what it's about, which again is like misfits coming together as this chosen family, having issues, resolving those issues, like finding ways to bond, all that stuff, all that stuff that is like very mm-hmm. emotionally compelling and extremely relatable and human. It's just that it's so bogged down by so many weird, random, like tonally incongruous like scenes here and there Mm -hmm. and just other kind of weirdness and I feel like characters being rewritten to make weird choices or things like suicidality and like drug addiction not being handled well I mean the overall cultural emotional intelligence of the mid 90s was like yeah not equipped (laughs) to deal with this kind of stuff yeah but, but i appreciate that they were trying they, they tried and there's a lot of potential in this premise i mean again from a teenagers watching this in the mid to late 90s and like finding so much to latch on to like that is very cool and i can understand why and i'm sure i would have if i had i seen this 
as a like I yeah. loved tween <laughs> in like 98 yeah, or something like that exactly like i would have had a yeah. different response but it's just yeah i understand that like <laughs> seeing it for the first time four days ago as a 35 year old person living in 2022 yeah i mean it's easier to criticize uh from that vantage point yeah uh we gotta take a quick break but we will come right back Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie? I just think like on top of that, I just think it's we have so much to talk about about the relationship between the girls. And then with the guys, I'm just like, sometimes I forgot which guy was which. I'm like, these are all the same goofball. (laughs) There's no conflict between uh, except between like 
daddy and son like that's the only real but like there's no frick there's only universal Nothing. support between these goofy boys like they're all just like yeah. oh you're fucking wild man like in a way that it's like it's goofy because they should maybe be in conflict a little more <laughs> with each other mm -hmm. but also it just is like such a stark contrast to like the the women in this movie are constantly in conflict only right. in conflict really and then the guys are just like yeah whatever man like yeah like right. it's so stark it was just like bizarre which is complicated because it's like the implication being women being in the same space together well they're obviously gonna hate each other and fight and have fight. conflict yeah but then it also right. means that those are the far more interesting and nuanced relationships in this oh, movie right. whereas like all the relationships with the men are just like, who are you again? Who is this? <laughs> they just yeah. want to smoke. They want to eat pizza. They bring each other snacks. Like, <laughs> and they don't. And that's the weird thing because the major, the biggest conflict is like, he stole nine grand from him. But like, and that doesn't even create not, conflict in the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's to fight about is the fact that I want to lose my virginity to this guy. And for some reason, we're going to fight about it on our break at this really cute little cafe like it's right. weird yeah it's weird it's <sighs> weird and they're fighting over a disgusting creep who wants to do sexual things with a high school student so absolutely fuck that guy and then also real quick the rex manning fan base thing so obviously he's resentful that only women over the age of like 35 who he doesn't deem to be quote-unquote fuckable like mm -hmm. they're not sexually viable to him they are the main demographic of his fan base and he hates that that's who likes his music yeah yeah and then there's a scene where jane is talking about how rex manning's music tested well with teen boys actually and then lucas says something like oh well did you compare the teen boys who like rex manning's music to the incidents of homosexuality among teen boys mm -hmm. so fucking 90s homophobic <sighs> like yeah and that's ridiculous. like very but also i feel like the movie is saying the fact that older women and gay men that's who likes this guy and that is part of why we're not supposed to like rex manning as a character for sure and it's like um look older women and gay men have a lot of disposable income and sh and put some respect and good taste yeah <laughs> and good taste they're paying your rent like he just didn't care because i think the main point of it that they wanted us to take away was the fact that he didn't see them as fuckable, which is, again, another trope of being, like, older women or whatever are no longer hot after, what, 25 or something like right. that. And he's mm -hmm. just, like, after that, even though, like, that is his whole fan base, is literally, those were the, when you looked at the line outside, those were the people that showed up. And we would have under, I don't think, that's why I wanted more understanding of, like, why, Liv Tyler loved him so much like she didn't fit it right. and I think we would have knew that if we would have talked about more about the stuff with her dad because mm -hmm. she clearly had issues with him but we didn't they skipped over all of that <laughs> yeah it was weird <laughs> it was weird it's very bizarre this movie is just so weird um <laughs> I don't know. does anyone else have any other stuff <sighs> I just don't understand why Lucas didn't clearly explain to Joe or anyone else what his intentions were with taking the money. Like, mm -hmm. he could have just been like, 
I saw that we were in trouble and I tried to save us, but oops, I lost all the money gambling. I'm so sorry. But he never says that. Every Lucas time... Lucas only provides exposition to himself. He doesn't provide <laughs> it to other characters. And he came back with a bunch of quarters, quarters. instead. I know. Which just get glued to the floor. For the sake of art. <laughs> For art. Oh, gosh. But every time he tries to like explain why he did what he did, it's just so like metaphorical and cryptic. And it's like... Your intentions were pure. You can just, just tell yeah. what your intentions right. were. You were trying to help daddy. Like, <laughs> you wanted to help. Say that, you know, but <laughs> he can't. He's an agent of chaos. Like, Lucas is such an annoying character, but I, but I like, couldn't help but love him. I'm like, his heart's in the right place, yeah. but he just, like, he just will not say the right thing at the right time Ever. to save right his life. <laughs> yeah. Just, what a what a sweetie what a what a weird kid mm-hmm. <laughs> and i and you get a, a little glimpse into his past too that i assume was originally a bigger part of the story where it sounds like mm-hmm. um he was put in like foster care he I took think. him in yeah. yeah right he took him in daddy so daddy can't punish the kid all he took in yeah right because he's like well that i got this kid like out of a bad situation i'm not gonna put him back into one mm-hmm. but it's just like movie wise it would have been nice to have that scene and have you know get lucas to communicate at some point in the movie but he just kind of never does about what's going on and then at the end he's yeah. like daddy i'm happy for you and he's like thanks son <laughs> yeah but instead of any of that like further context or development that we needed instead we get a scene where mark is dusting near a woman who's just you know jamming out she's closing her eyes she's like listening to the music and then he tries to assault her like he's just trying to kiss her yeah and the movie plays it off as isn't this funny and quirky and cute isn't that a funny thing for mark to do cut mark from the movie honestly like that's the character that is most goable why didn't they cut mark they cut who did they cut three people they didn't cut mark come on (laughs) this is unrelated but just like in a post-pandemic era, not that you could even get COVID from a pair of those headphones, but I was like, oh, that's so gross that we used to do that, uh-huh. that we used to just bleh, go to bleh. record stores and put, yeah. It's so, <laughs> it's so nasty. Why? Oh, God, wipe us out. Like, it's just like, ugh, ugh, nasty. Anyways, I think that that's my last comment is those headphones are so gross. You couldn't pay me to put them on. <laughs> My last comment is at the very beginning when Lucas goes to Atlantic City and gambles. And the first time he, he's playing craps, right? And he doubles his money or he wins money the first time. He wins, yeah. And then the like sexy lady that's next to him is like, you know, kind of cuddled up against him. And then she's like, you are sex <laughs> is a thing that she says I... to him. <laughs> you are sex. Like I... <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> go off. Oh, it's so funny. I know exactly about that. Um, yeah, so that was uh, you amazing. You are sex. And you are sex. We're all yeah. sex. We're all sex. Especially Gina, apparently. <laughs> That's what they wanted us to Especially, right? Yeah. But how does she feel about it? We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Huh? Yeah. Not a lot, right? though. Yeah, but like not as much as you would think. I was going to say. Yeah, my, I think my favorite exchange is when Deborah says, hey, Miss Teen America, here's a button I made for you. Don't worry, I didn't spit on it. Yeah. And then Corey reads what it says and it just says dishonesty. So she's like, dishonesty? <laughs> and that passes, passes the Bechdel test. 
there's a lot of sinister yeah there's a lot of sinister passes in, in this movie but it does pass which i accept mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. love that it, it, and i didn't know i that's the one i choose to like that one the most dishonesty and it's like well we passed so we did it ladies we, <laughs> we did, did it, it. <laughs> feminist win Feminism. <laughs> oh gosh and then as far as our nipple scale on oh, which no. we rate the movie uh, zero to five uh, nipples yikes. based on examining it through an intersectional feminist lens <laughs> i guess my takeaway from this is that i appreciate that so many people have been able to latch on to this movie for its relatable premise of like misfits being represented on screen finding a community finding a chosen family because not many movies were about that especially in this era Mm. so I understand why it was so appealing to people who had so little representation that said the movie is extremely white it is extremely hetero it is extremely like middle class even though some of these like it's suggested that a lot of the characters are struggling financially we don't actually see it see any manifestations of that it's just like because we just see them one day in a record store and we're just kind of assuming oh, everyone's like everyone's fine so it's just it only represents a very small demographic of people it leaves a lot of people out it does not handle a lot of uh serious topics such as suicidal ideation and addiction mm-hmm. does not know how to approach handling those things mm-hmm. executes those things not well But it's extremely valid for, you know, the people who saw themselves represented in the movie. And like, well, like you were talking about Shelley, like, even though there's, there's no explicit queerness, even though, you know, there's, you're still able to see yourself in it and, Mm -hmm. and, and see parts of like what you long for in it. And like, that's extremely valid. And Mm -hmm. with all of that in mind, I will give the movie two nipples whoa maybe is that too many wait i thought you were gonna go lower than that. i'll wait till jamie. i thought i was too jamie's like i got you <laughs> <laughs> okay i love it i do like that a lot of the most interesting relationships in the movie are among women and a lot of the most interesting arcs are afforded to the female characters there's still a lot of tropes present there but what are you expecting from 1995, I guess? Um, yeah, I think this is maybe too high. And on a, like, <laughs> did I enjoy watching this movie from a zero to five scale? I would give this movie zero nipples. But <laughs> sorry. But from a, you know, is it doing some interesting things? Sure, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Two nipples. Fair. And I'll give one to Liv Tyler's crop top and I'll give one to the line of dialogue you are sex. Ooh. 
fair. I'm going to do something weird here. And I'm going to give a nipple rating to the actual movie and a nipple rating to the movie that I think it was going to be prior to being uh-huh. released. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual movie, I'm going to give one nipple to because it's so messy. And it's like, I, I there are the like seeds of so many interesting things. But because of the way the movie was edited and marketed and rewritten outside mm-hmm. of like the writer's original vision I feel like it does uh, miss the mark a lot of the time and I like totally echo I mean the 90s like extreme you know white middle class heterosexuality which is true of basically the whole genre at this time yeah but even on top of that like it's so it's like I see I would say I had a five out of five nipple experience watching this movie because you were you were just like Mm. I was paying such close attention waiting for something to make sense and like it was so fun (laughs) To be like, huh? What? He's got a huh. gun? Like, what is happening? Um, so viewing experience was incredible. I, it is, it's always like you know, kind of disappointing in a way. Again, that it's like not the writer or the director's fault mm-hmm. to see a, a teen movie try to approach serious issues that could have been impactful if they had been given some room to breathe and and then mm-hmm. see it kind of undercut. So I give one nipple to the movie that came out and I'll give that to Liv Tyler's crop top. I'm going to give three nipples to the movie that I like think was in there. Maybe even three and a half. Mm. Like if you had gotten like Deborah's, you know, full backstory and like gotten to fully realize a self harm narrative that had a positive ending for the character in a teen movie. I think that that could have been a really cool, impactful storyline if it was done thoughtfully same goes for the Liv Tyler storyline. Same goes for the slut shaming storyline with Gina. Like I and mm. um, like Carol was saying in her interview with you, Shelley. Like it sounds like the Gina Corey friendship was so much more integral to the movie she wanted to make. Yeah, and I would have loved mm-hmm. to have seen that. So I'll give I'll give three and a half to the movie that I that I think it was at one point, and I'll give those nipples to you are sex. I'll give them to the dirty headphones. I'll give them to the newscaster who's like, the news is on live. And I'm like, yeah, we know. Uh, (laughs) And I'll give my last half to the eyebrows. Oh, Debbie Debbie, Debbie Debbie Mazur's eyebrows. eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. I think like with everything that y'all were saying about, you know, the cisness, the whiteness, everything a part of it. Putting all that in and also taking all of that apart and being like, yeah, there's this, there was more here than meets the eye or that's on the cutting room floor somewhere or in someone's basement. And rating the movie that we actually got, I would definitely just give it like two stars and I, or sorry, two nipples. What wow. am I on? Letterboxd? I'm sorry. Shrekky, how could you? <laughs> Shrekky. <laughs> cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Sorry, that wasn't me, actually. That was Shrekie that said stars. Uh I apologize. Yeah, Shrekie just came out in that moment. (laughs) I would give it two nipples. Um, And the one nipple, of course, goes to Liv Tyler's crop top. Like, that Mm -hmm. will forever get one. And the other one, I think, goes for, like, what it was trying to do. Like, everything that it was trying to do, what it could have been, all the holes in the story and stuff like that because I think they're saying something if you can 
not only find the holes in the story, but then be like, oh, there's more to this. I think if your mind when you're watching it is like, instead of just being like, oh, that doesn't make sense, and then throwing it aside, if instead when you're watching a movie and you're like, wait a minute, there was something actually there and something just got fucked up, then you can be Mm -hmm. like, you can appreciate it a little bit more. So that's what my nipple rating scale is. But in a universe where none of this happened and I'm in middle school and I'm watching this, this movie that was not meant for this like black girl, Midwest, middle class, like weirdo. I'm going to give it like five because it made me fucking happy. (laughs) Like it made me happy. It made me happy and I made memories with it. I danced around my room to it. I would like act it out in certain scenes when I would watch it different times. Like, and then I got to like write about it for its 25th year anniversary and stuff and talk to the person who made it. So for that, I give Mm -hmm. it five in that world. But that's it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so good. Thank you for bringing us this movie because it really was of like course. Thank just you. a fun wormhole. This is like one of my favorite <laughs> chaos conversations on the show in some time. It's so fun. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Come back anytime. Oh my God. Bring I will. You want. And um, tell us where people can follow you on social media, yeah. read your writing, yeah. anything else you want to plug. Well, if you just type in Shreky on uh, Twitter, (laughs) you'll find me. (laughs) If you just type that in, you'll find me. It's totally fine. Um, No, I'm mostly on Twitter at HiShelly. And then I'm on Instagram at AYOShelly. On Twitter, I just talk a lot of shit about movies and TV that I want people to watch that I think they should be watching. Um, Nice. And on Instagram, I just post cute pictures of myself. Uh, But yeah, and then I write culture writer at auto straddle and i write you know a lot of pieces there but i also just edit a lot of really dope new and emerging writers over there too especially black and brown queer writers um and then other than that i write at a few other places i just anybody that wants to let me talk about a movie and pay me for it i pretty much do it so i'm there (laughs) you're real good at it please keep doing it (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you but that's it truly come back anytime yes oh dope i love you guys this is such a dope podcast i remember when i found it and i really dig it ever since and yeah it's just dope dope. thank you so much we're so happy you could come on yeah (laughs) and uh yeah i guess you can follow us on social media twitter and instagram at bechtelcast we've got our patreon aka matreon that gets you two bonus episodes every single month it's five dollars a month and you can hear such episodes as uh the Stuart little one where steve zahn who again should be in this movie says you're my best friend snowball <laughs> you my best friend they're uh man some of my favorite matreons are like you'd think there's nothing to talk about in Stuart little but there's a whole gina davis feminism <laughs> conversation to be had so that's that's where if if you want more chaos uh you can uh-huh. also get our uh merch at tpublic.com slash cast if you're so inclined follow us on instagram follow us on twitter or don't all right or don't <laughs> or do 
or do also <laughs> give us five nipples on apple podcasts or whatever oh my gosh yeah because some because people were getting really mad about the, the zootopia hive came for our comment section on <laughs> apple Podcasts. so if you could help out there that would actually rock because i didn't realize how much people love <laughs> um animal cops anyways <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes Rex Manning Day on the Bechtel cast. Uh, Let's close up. It's midnight, so we got to go. Time for the fundraiser. Bye. (laughs) Bye bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.